You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. And uh, trying to find my place here. Proverbs 22, 6. I want him, uh, if uh, John, if you would put this uh, particular man up on the screen up there. This individual, uh, you'll see him in a moment, is biting a piece of metal. Um, There he is right there. This guy is an interesting individual. He has since died, but um, he is known for eating just unbelievable things. He has a unique digestive system. When he was a child, he could actually eat glass and it not harm him. Um, He's eaten bicycles, shopping carts. He even ate an airplane. Uh, Now, of course, you're grinding it up, but over a period of time, he's been known as an individual that is eaten, like I said, bicycles, shopping carts, um, Maybe an automobile. I know he. I know he ate a Cessna airplane, uh, but he has a very unique digestive system that is that gives him the ability to be able to digest metal, glass, and and other hard substances that you and I, if we were to do that, it, it would kill us. And and so he is just a fascinating individual. I was reading about him this week. And I think he died in his 50s. I can imagine why. Um, But I want to say to young parents today and and those that may listen live stream, and I want to be really nice to you, okay? So I want you to listen. I'm not being mean. If you have young children, they've not reached the teenage years. They've not begun to walk through relationships, as painful as that is, some of the temptations that are going to come in their life. You don't know anything yet. Okay, you don't know nothing. You're as green and as ignorant as as, as life could possibly make you. And your only hope is, when you get to those moments in your life, first of all, that you've built a good, strong foundation under your children. But let me tell you something. Number two, you need to learn to listen. Because the reality is that the Bible will give you a lot of counsel. Pastoral leaders give you a lot of counsel in ministry. Uh, People that have navigated some of these things and even learned from their mistakes can also give you wisdom and insight. You know, sometimes it might be good to sit down with a parent who has struggled, let's say, with their child as they've grown up in an area of drugs, alcohol, sexual promiscuity, or whatever it may be, to be able to give you some counsel and insight as to some of the mistakes they've made. But I put this man up there because when you and I are in a series like we're in right now, uh, this series has been fixing our eyes on Jesus, but we're dealing with a real problem in our culture, in our society, and it is how to cope with anxiety, how to cope with depression, 
What tools, as I as a parent, can begin to impress into the life of my children so that they can navigate some of the difficulties that they're going to face? Whether it's relationships, whether it's sexual temptation, pornography, sexual promiscuity in our culture today, sexually deviant behaviors that we're seeing today, whether it's drugs, whether it's, whether it's alcohol, whether it's marijuana, crack, meth, whatever they may face, whether, no matter what they are coming into contact with, whether it's just a, the difficulty of education, getting their education, their job, where they work, dealing with difficult personalities. What tools, parents, are you going to give your children to be able to navigate that? Because that's critical. And you know, over the last few weeks, we've, we've looked, we talked about the four steps to controlling anxiety. In other words, what tools, what words can I put in my child's mind as they're navigating some of these things? You see, the writer of Proverbs said this. Let's look at it. Proverbs 22, 6. He said, train up a child in the way they should what? In the way he or she should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. He or she will not depart from it. Now, real quickly, we've looked at that passage a lot of times. The idea of training up in the Hebrew is the picture, and you've, you've, you've seen me do it. I could do it with those two rows of cheers. But what you're doing is training up. You as a parent are hedging in. You're creating boundaries. And listen, these boundaries are not all negative. It's not what you're telling them only what not to do. You're also giving them tools, helping them to understand as they navigate through life, these are tools, these are boundaries, these are disciplines that as you incorporate into your life, well, at the same time, you're pointing them toward Christ, right? So you're training your child up in the way they should go and when they're old. Now, everybody listen. The word old in the Hebrew means bearded chin, It means when they get to the point that hair is growing all over their body, hormones, testosterone, all of those things are beginning to be felt. They're beginning to want now to be an adult. They're trying to navigate moving from a teenager to adulthood. Listen, when they're old, when they get to that point, you will not lose them. Now, that's critical. So last week, we looked at what I believe are great four steps toward controlling or dealing with anxiety. And it's taken from a book by uh, an individual. I think his last name's Trent. It's called Stop Overthinking. But all of these principles are good. Number one, we said last week, you and I need to teach our children to avoid some people, some circumstances, some situations. We just teach our children there are some things they don't need to be in the company of, Right? And we looked in Genesis 39, where you remember Joseph. What did he do when Potiphar was trying to get him to go to bed with her? What did he do? He ran. Some, you need to teach your children the word avoid. 
There are some friendships, some relationships, some institutions, some places, some circumstances you just need to learn to avoid. Stay away from them. And boy, that's critical. And you know, uh, Miss Tracy, I heard you were laughing about last Sunday when you, you uh, Frankie and some of them said you got a big laugh when I was pack, grabbed my tin up at that at that camping site on the Buffalo because this woman came down to my tent to my campsite and started playing up to me. Hey, listen, I just grabbed up my tent. I grabbed up my stuff. I put it in my truck and I ran. Right? There are just some things that you and I need to teach our children that they need to avoid. And then we looked at the word altar. Sometimes you can't avoid something or somebody. You're in a workplace. You have to learn that you can't avoid the stressor. Your point then becomes, how do I change this relationship, these circumstances that I'm in? Because I can't get out of it. It may be I've got to make a living, or I've got to get my education, or I've got to put up with this professor, this teacher, or I've just got to room with this person, and I have no choice. What am I going to do? And we said this, you and I need to teach our children that they are salt, light, and yeast. They are a change agent. Listen, your peers, your friendships, this is a parent talking to a child, is not influencing you. You've been called by God to influence them. You're not there to be impressed by your circumstances. You're the salt, light, and yeast. You are there to change the atmosphere of where you are. And that's critical. And so we teach our children some things you avoid, some things you alter. It's just life. It's the way it is. And it's critical. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray that for every parent in this room, especially for young parents, that they begin to teach their children while they're young to say son or daughter, to say to that child, to say, listen, there's some people... That if you don't avoid them, they'll take you down. You can't pull them up. You're not strong enough yet. And if you stay too close to the edge of the well and you reach down in there with a rope, chances are it's not going to be two people on the top of that well. It's going to be two people down in it. Sometimes we have to teach our children that you're not strong enough to be in the company of that person Sometimes we have to say to our sons and daughters that friendship may take you in a path in a way that you will regret and you may need to avoid it. It's not to say that you don't love them and pray for them. You're just not strong enough right now to win them. Sometimes we have to say to our children, never date somebody that you wouldn't marry. Because love is a, love is a, is a ticky, strange emotion. And as a man told me one time after a long marriage, he said, you can't help who you fall in love with. Sometimes we need to teach our children the word avoid. Sometimes we need to teach our children to alter, to realize that if they can't change and they're stuck, they must begin to influence that environment for Christ and influence that person. And Lord, I know this congregation has been standing on their feet for a while.
my Lord, when they sit down, I'll still be standing. And I pray, dear Lord, they'll be attentive and listen because this pastor was up most of the night sick. And so what I'm here to do today is to share with them things that will be critical as they're raising their children. It's not for them to enjoy, it's for them to take a heart. And these are not just tools for children, they're tools for every one of us. So Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me, to use me as a tool in your hand. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen, you've almost heard half the sermon standing on your feet. You know, when I walked in last Sunday and I I came into the house, Emily said, well, Dad, what's the next two? I said, well, this is my daughter, Emily. I said, you're going to have to show up to hear them. And so if you can't, uh, if you're teaching your child the word avoid and you teach your child the word alter, then the third word is accept. You see, sometimes we can't change the situation. And for that matter, we just have to simply accept it. Listen to what this Arthur said. He said, accept. We can't change the situation or for that matter, a person. But now listen to this. But we can watch how we talk about them inwardly and the language that we use. You know, let let me give you an example. You got a job. You don't like the job. You don't like the people that you work with. You don't don't think they're paying you enough money. You're not getting enough benefits. But the bottom line is you're stuck in that job. There is nothing that you can do about it. And this is the way you get up in the morning. Well, it's Monday morning. Man, I dread going to work. Boy, I hate my job. I just hate my job. Whoa, do I hate my job. Honey, I hate my job. Kids, before you go to school, I just want y'all to know, Dad hates his job. I hate my job. And buddy, you hate your job. You you plant that thought in your head. You say it over and over again. And you have programmed your job to be nothing but bad. I hate my marriage. I hate who I'm I'm married to. I wish I could get out of this marriage. I wish I could change this situation. Has it ever occurred to you that God put you there, not for that marriage, that job to change you, but for you to change that environment? It goes back to what we were saying a moment ago. Sometimes, listen, sometimes you and I, there are some things we need to avoid. There are some things that we can alter. But you and I need to teach our children there are some things that you just have to accept as an, as an old vice lord told me. It is what it is. Sheila, get, she don't like that. Sheila don't like that. Uh, we'll be talking about something. I'll say, well, you remember what? And I'll name this guy and, just, and I'll say, it is what it is. You know, that's become real popular, hasn't it? Everybody says that now. It is what it is. You know, I thought when I sat and and discipled and spent time with a particular uh, gang member who who just turned his life over to Christ, I thought to myself, I thought, you know, that's really an interesting statement. I, we'd be talking. He, he'd tell me this murder, this killing, or this drug deal, or that. And he, we'd be talking about some of the criminal things that were going on in the city. And, 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 and I'd look at him and I'd think, well, what bit of philosophical, theological word is he going to give me here? And he'd look and he'd say, well, it is what it is. Hey, let me tell you something. That man cried 
more than any human being that I've ever seen call themselves a Christian. It is what it is. I want you to I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn over to Philippians. Look at the Apostle Paul here. Boy, I love this. I love the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Philippians is a great book of the Bible. At times I've tried to memorize all four chapters. But look at Philippians, um, look at Philippians chapter four. You remember last week Paul said these words, Philippians chapter four, beginning at uh you know, verse 6, let's pick up there. Do not, and in fact, go back, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Anxiety, depression, worry will steal your joy, right? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We said this, anxiety, worry, depression will steal not only your joy, it will steal your gentleness. Hey, listen, everybody look this way. When you and I get filled with anxiety, we get rude. When we start worrying and we get anxious, we get rude with the people that we love the most. Martha was mad at Mary and Martha was mad at Jesus, right? Now watch what Paul goes on to say. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now let's stop there. I want you to, I want you to look at Philippians 2.28. Real briefly, I just, I just felt like I need to make this clear. Paul said in Philippians 2.28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him. Now, Paul is talking about Epaphroditus. He said, I'm more anxious. He said, therefore, I am, uh, therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and what? What does he say there? Even the apostle Paul wrestled with anxiety. He said that I may have less anxiety. So it's a real problem even biblically. But look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says down there in uh, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace, look at that. Boy, isn't that great? You're not anxious, you're not pulled apart, you're not worried, you're not one if. Because listen, in everything, Paul says, instead of me worrying about it, I'm going to pray about it and turn it over to God. You ever seen somebody do that? You ever seen somebody? Have you ever been to the point in a situation that you just went, I'm through with it. I'm done. Y'all do, hey, y'all do whatever you want to do with it. I don't care no more. You know, that's what Paul was saying when it comes to our relationship with God. We serve a sovereign, all-powerful God that when we find ourselves in a situation, circumstances that are just overwhelming to us, we just simply throw up our hands and say, God, it's all yours. I give it to you. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm not going to be anxious. There's nothing I can do about it, God. I've done everything that I can do. Sometimes when you're raising children, they get to those ages where they're now accountable and responsible. Parent, that's what you do. You just simply say, God, I'm done. I've done all I can do. But watch what Paul says here. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? What will it do? It guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? Don't you love that? 
Watch what he goes on to say here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Fill your mind with good things, positive things. Don't sit around and allow the enemy to get in your head and what if you to death. You're not worried about tomorrow. God's already there. Now let's skip over to verse 11. Watch what he says. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. He said, I am not saying this because I am in need. Now watch this. Here's the problem. This is why a lot of us are anxious, worried. This is why a lot of us pile our plate too full and we bring a lot of it on ourselves. Watch what Paul says. He said, I am not saying this because I am in need. Well, let's go back. We got to do verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Paul said he's thanking the church at Philippi for taking care of some of his physical needs. Then he says, indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now watch verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned what? What does Paul say? I have learned to be what? Whoa, man. Whatever the circumstances. Let me tell you, you know what my dad told me one time? I'll never forget it. He said, son, your problem is you feel like you need to entertain the kids. Need to keep them busy. Got to entertain them. Instead of letting kids just find some things to entertain themselves. In other words, the reality is, is that you and I are teaching our children and we are learning ourselves how to be content. What does that even mean anymore? You know, sometimes I come in the sanctuary by myself and I'll just sit on that front row of chairs there. I'll put my head back, prop up, look at the stained ceiling. Where sometimes it doesn't weigh on me like it used to. Because see, I've got a lot of pastor friends, they couldn't stand that. I've got a lot of churches and committees, they drive you crazy. We just got to take care of the ceiling. Now people can be dying and going to hell all around us, but we've got to have a good building to meet in. So that everybody's comfortable. We're doing everything we can to make it a good experience when they come to church. Isn't that true? Let me tell you, you are, you hear me, you are responsible for your contentment. Nobody else is. Paul said, I have learned in whatever circumstances I'm in. We'll go back to Acts 18. You don't have to right now, but let me tell you. The church at Philippi was planted while Paul was in prison. Have you, have you been the kind of person, in fact, I wrote a principle down here. Teach your child that sometimes God puts us in a place or with people that we must realize that we will not change, but I am here still by the sovereign hand of God. Listen, to develop certain attributes, character traits that God can only develop in my life in this situation, in this relationship, in these circumstances. God may be building into you patience, perseverance, stamina, strength, and testimony. 
intestinal fortitude. In other words, you may be in a situation, in a relationship, in circumstances that you're telling your child and you and I are learning that we just have to learn to be content. It is what it is. Paul said, I've learned to be content. And you know what he goes on to say? Whether I based or abound. Whether I've got plenty or I'm in need. Paul said, listen, it doesn't depend on the outward circumstances. It doesn't depend on what I've got or what I don't have. It only depends on this. It's what's going on in my heart. Paul said, I've learned to be at peace no matter where I'm at, even if I'm in a jail in Philippi. Let me tell you, listen. That's your testimony in mine. That's what people want. My wife, my wife, you've heard her story. Dating at 14, married at 16, widow at 18. First husband in drugs, carrying drugs, moving drugs. They were in Texas and he was murdered. He was killed. She comes home, her life is a wreck. Her dad and mom finally look at her and send her to Holmes Junior College at Goodman. She's still struggling. She's on the campus one day in that college. She sees this girl named Karen. And Karen just, hey, listen. Hey, listen. You know why some of you are not a good witness? Because you don't do this. She glowed. I, I love, I love Alicia's little sister, Erin. I wish I could sell that smile. That girl's got the biggest smile. She just glows her smile so big. Sheila looked at Karen and she asked her these words. An 18-year-old widow, widow, 19 by that time, whose life was just crashing all around her, who had no purpose, no meaning, who could have gone anywhere, could have gone anywhere. She said, Karen, what is it that you have? Because you glow. You look so at peace. There's such joy in you. What is it about you? You know what Karen said? I have Jesus. Sheila, do you want to know my Jesus? She introduced her to Jesus Christ. Sheila went home, knelt down by in her dorm room. Sheila said that girl's dorm was always active, always loud, always a lot of activity. She said, I walked into my dorm room. My roommate wasn't there. Nobody in the hallways, nobody in the lobby, nowhere, dead silence. And she said, I knelt down by that bed and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And one thing I love about my wife and the 40 Four years we've been married, nearly 47 years plus we've known each other. She has, listened to this, has never doubted her salvation. She said, I knew that Jesus was there that day. Let me tell you, sometimes you and I just have to teach our children. Sometimes we have to recognize we can't change the situation. We can't change the person. We just have to learn to make the best out of it. 
and realize that God is doing something in us that he otherwise could not do. Hey, listen, you're in a bad relationship. You're in a bad marriage. You're in a bad job. You're in a bad school. You've got bad this, bad that. You don't like your circumstances. Has it ever occurred to you that God didn't get you married for your happiness? He got you married for your holiness. Why don't you start looking at your boss, your spouse, or that difficult person, that difficult circumstance as the tool in God's hand by which he's conforming you into the image of his son. And quit trying to get out of it. This principle here, God does not always rescue you and I from life situations, but rather puts you and I there to develop a quality that cannot be developed any other way. Imagine if you're teaching your children while they're young. They got a problem on the ball field with the team. They got a problem in school with a classmate. They got a problem with an authority figure, a teacher. And you say, hey, listen, there's nothing that we can do about this. It is what it is. Now, this is what you're going to do when that happens. You're going to say, okay, God, you've put me here. What are you trying to teach me? It's no longer about this person, that person, that circumstance. God, you're doing something in me, and this is where you had to put me to do it. Right? So avoid, alter. Sometimes we just have to accept. This writer said, parents, sometimes we develop courage and intestinal fortitude that must be learned in the battle. There's a man by the name of D.J. Vanis, I believe is his name. He wrote a book called The Warrior Within. Listen to what he said. He wrote this book called The Warrior Within. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's acting in the face of it. He gives an illustration of a Native American tribe, and he writes this tribe, this Native American, this Indian tribe called the Plains Tribe. They hold a tradition in their battle that, is, uh, that speaks to being honorable. Rather than killing their enemy on the battlefield, they go to their enemy, and you can imagine an Indian warrior. He's on his horse, and he will sheathe his sword. He'll put away his arrow and his bow, and he pulls out what they call a coup stick. It is a decorated staff that he would use to get his horse to move. He will take the coup stick and in a courageous act of confronting his enemy, he will walk up or right up to his enemy and he will touch his enemy on the face or on the head as if to say to him, you do not scare me. The problem is with the church and the problem is with too many Christians. We have shut down our faith, shut down our testimony because we want the world to accept us. Rather than walking into a place and realizing that, hey, you don't, I'm not intimidated, nor am I afraid. I'm perfectly at peace because a sovereign God has put me here by divine appointment. God brings people into your life in situations not for your happiness, listen, but rather for your holiness. 
Hagiasmos is the Greek word. Sanctification. God is in the process of creating these disciplines, these boundaries, ever leading us being conformed into the image of Christ. And he's constantly removing things that just simply do not look like his son. Some people look at me in counseling and they go, you don't know what I put up with at the workplace. It takes everything in me not to lose my temper and blow my stack. I just want to get out of that situation. And my thought is you better watch it because God's going to plant you there and leave you there until you get to the point that you see that as your mission field and it's no longer so influencing you that you're losing your temper, but rather you're learning how to control it. Oh, you quit that job, get ready, he'll give you another one. You'll just play that scenario, that situation over and over again. You ever realize how many people divorce and remarry only to get a worse deal? Parent, listen, your goal, and I know we've got to close, your goal is your goal. Your responsibility, your purpose is to Help your children be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Listen, parent, some of you will rescue your children to the detriment of their development of their Christ-like character. God has not called you to always fight their battles. Yes, there are times you must. My dad said, my dad said one time, he'll be listening to this. He said, I didn't do that. So dad, mom swears up and down. That my brother, special need, you've seen him come to this service. That you were in a public school classroom where you were confronting the teacher on how she was teaching or handling my little brother who's special needs. And that at a certain point, you were walking out of the room and the teacher smarted off to you and you grabbed a textbook and threw it at the teacher. Now, when I get to heaven, maybe we'll get the real story. But and I, my dad, my dad, he watches live stream. So he's, he'll be 93 in about a week. So uh, I hope he'll live to be over 93 now that I probably made him mad. But, you know, let me, let me, let me make a couple of comments and then let me close. Parent, your goal is to create godly men and women, right? And you want strong, godly men and women. That's what you want. That's what you and you and Jesus are involved. This is why health and wealth theology in our day is so so damaging, so dangerous. Because see, the Joel Olsteins would have you and I believe, and I hate to use Joel Olstein, because I'll be honest with you, when I listen to him, I feel good. I remember one day I was sitting in there listening, Sheila, I just come in the kitchen smiling, and she said, What is that? I said, I've been listening to Joel and I really feel good. But sometimes God's goal in your life and in my life is not to feel good. There's a big difference between happiness and joy. But that's health and wealth theology. Because it's so narcissistic. It's so self-absorbed life that it's all about my happiness. It's about me being happy. And if I'm not happy, then I have every right to leave this relationship, leave this job, leave these circumstances. Because God wants me happy. No, God doesn't want me happy. God wants me holy. Hagiosmos. Hagios is the word holy. Hagiosmos is the process by which God is making you and I holy.
when I was at the the Buffalo camping, and I'll close with this. Um, the first night I was there, these four young people came out of the just came out of the woods. Now they had the backpacking gear and everything, and it was three guys and a girl. And I knew immediately that they were my brothers and sister in Christ. You know that? You ever notice that? You, you just know immediately you, you, you see another believer that's walking with the Lord. I just knew it. I knew by the way they smiled, the, the, the atmosphere around them, everything about them. Well, come to find out they were North American Mission Board church planners. And they were planning a church in Arkansas. And so they just took this time to hike the, it's called the power line. It's an unbelievable chasm just cut through a mountain where they put the power line. So they hiked that, camped out, and then hiked back the next day. So I went to eat with them. We went to the Ozark Cafe. We sat there that evening. We just had the best time with these four young people, just full of life, energetic. And at a certain point, I learned that one, one guy and the girl, that they were engaged. They had just gotten engaged about a week before. And so we talked about, they were asking questions about, you know, church and inner city work and, 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 bat- and dealing with the racial conflict and bringing racial reconciliation, racial diversity in the church plan. We talked about all that. And then when we got ready to go, you'd had to see this guy. This guy stands up, the guy that's just been engaged to this girl, and she's Jewish, and her brother is another guy there. This guy stands up and he says, hey, listen, before you leave, can I ask you a question? Say, so, yeah. We're standing up, getting ready to walk out. He said, you know, I've, I've been engaged for one week. He said, how do you make it work? He said, how do you love somebody for 44 years? Because he could tell that I love Sheila and that I messed her, that I was not complete. And he said, how do you get that? How do you do it? You know what I told him? I said, well, let me tell you. I learned that I did not need a parachute. I didn't need a backup plan. Sheila and I went into marriage with this understanding we ain't going to be able to get out of this. We in it for the long haul. We're like two people marooned on an island. We're stuck with each other. Now listen, don't take my situation, apply it to your life. If something happened in your marriage and it didn't work out, I don't mean that at all. What I mean is this, this young man was saying, I want to make it with this girl. I want to make it work. How do I do that? You know what I told him? Except the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that build it. If Jesus Christ is not the foundation of your marriage, it'll never work. And that's it. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we continue to navigate how to handle stress and worry and anxiety. Lord, sometimes we can avoid 
those places, those situations, those circumstances, even people who may just bring such stress and worry that the easiest thing is to leave, to avoid, to get away from. Sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes we realize that, God, you've called me to change this. So uh, I've got to figure out how to be the salt, light, and yeast, how to alter this person, this situation, this job, this classroom, this dorm room, wherever it may be. And then sometimes we just have to accept it is what it is. And to look up toward the heaven and say, undoubtedly, God, there's nothing I can do. This person won't listen to me. I, I can't seem to be the salt, the light, and yeast. So, God, I, I, I'm trying to change this situation. I can't. So, God, let me ask you, what are you doing in me? What are you building into me right now? And I pray, dear Lord, that parents will begin to take these words and especially to these young children, impress them into their life. Because there are people right now in this room, they are running with the wrong crowd. They are, they are taking what does not belong to them. They are stealing. They are running with the wrong people. The foundation that's been put under their feet, they are in danger right now of jeopardizing everything that's been built into them. They're stealing what does not belong to them. They're doing things in a dishonest way. They're running with people that they need to avoid. And though they may get, the, they may get some glamour on the streets, they may get some affirmation through friendships, in the end, it will cost them everything and probably their life. So I pray, dear Lord, that if there's some that are listening to the sound of my voice right now, God, I pray that you do whatever you have to do to wake them up so that they begin to learn the word avoid before it's too late. And I pray, dear Lord, you give parents backbone when their children are still young and at home to say, son, you can't hang around that person. If you're going to have that friendship, you're going to do it somewhere else. not going to be here. Some parents would say, if you're going to live a sexually promiscuous life, you may do it somewhere else, but you're not going to bring her in here and sleep with her in my home. We begin to lay down clear boundaries. We pray, dear Lord, we learn the word avoid. We pray we learn the word alter. The ability to change people, circumstances, by being the salt, light, and yeast. And we learn how to accept and say, God, what are you doing in me when I have no choice? I can't avoid it. And Lord, I pray today if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, who's never given their life to you, that right now the Holy Spirit, as it plucks away and probes into that heart and says, today is the day of salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, woman, boy or girl hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and fellowship with them and they with me. Kononia, the Greek word for intimate communication. God, speak to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come.